0: If you make sure that everyone goes through the same process, you are helping in setting up a structure so that you can reduce bias and discrimination. Welcome to Hiring School, a weekly podcast about recruiting for non-recruiters. I'm Jackie Koch, and I have over 15 years of experience prospecting talent and building teams for Fortune 500 companies, startups, and small businesses in all different types of industries. I'm the founder and CEO of People Principles, where I help founders scale and lead their teams with programs, courses, and boutique agency services. My goal is to simplify the hiring and team building process so that you, founders, and not so solopreneurs, can implement modern, effective, and efficient hiring strategies that help you build the team that you want to help you scale. If you can't seem to find the right job candidates or simply don't know where to start, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Hiring School. I am your host, Jackie Koch, and I am so excited to keep sharing some tips and tricks about how to hire and build your team with you. So we've done a little bit of work. If you've been listening, hopefully you have listened to the episode where I discuss How to figure out what you actually need to hire for and figuring out the scope of the role, what's needed in your business, and really got a clear picture of what you are looking to fill and what roles you need to fill on your team. And then the episode right before this talked about how to get clear on who that is, how to create a role rubric, how to go deeper into what is needed in the role than just a copy and pasted job description that you found on Google. Because let's be real, that's what almost everyone does when they need to hire someone on their team. They will Google administrative assistant or whatever role it is. Right. And they will copy and paste that job description, but not you because you've been listening to hiring school and you got learned (laughs) anyways. So now, you know, the core qualities that you look for in every single person who joins your team. How amazing is that? You know, what the role needs to accomplish in the next year. And you also know the expertise and the skills that that person needs in order to execute and perform well in that role. So now you're wondering how to hire the right people. And this is where we get a bit tactical. And I think I'm actually going (laughs) to frustrate you a little bit with telling you that there's a little bit more prep work that you need to do before you just start talking to people and posting the job and advertising the job. There's a little bit more work you can do. And I know, I know you're busy and you just need help and your brain doesn't have time to think about this. You have no time. You have clients you need to do work for. Like I get it. All of that. I'm an entrepreneur too. I know I'm doing it. It's hard, but with great power comes great responsibility I guess that's from (laughs) Spider-Man. That's what my boyfriend told me. So it's a little funny, but it's true. Like you are building a business that has a ripple effect in your life and the life of so many people that you hire. So you're tuning in to this podcast to make better hiring decisions. I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. You're listening because you want to become better at hiring. And we've already discussed the cost of bad hiring decisions. It's a lot. It's 30% of your employees first year salary. And guess what? You make bad hiring decisions because you don't prep before. You run out and you post the job. You talk to someone you like. You get a referral who's somebody's brother who kind of did this job before and you hire them. And then they turn out to be not a great fit. And that is because you didn't create a plan and you didn't think about it ahead of time. So I'm sorry. I wish I could give you a quick tip. Trust me, if I could, I wouldn't be doing all of this work alongside of you. But the magic is in the prep. So hopefully I haven't scared you away and pissed you off too much that you're running away, but you need to do some prep. And so what you're going to do, and really the answer to how you hire the right people is in a structured hiring process. I know corporate, boring, but it's not. And it doesn't have to be a structured hiring process is really when you clarify the role, skills, and expertise, you already did that. So great. You're halfway done. You clarify that ahead of time. So half of it's already done, but then you come up with a plan, an interview plan as candidates are moving through your screening process. You know what you're doing at each step of the process so that you're not fumbling around 10 minutes before the interview starts being like, okay, who is this person? Oh, what should I ask them? Oh, or not even doing that. And just hopping on a call and thinking you're magically going to like ask the right things and, and learn the right things. That doesn't work. According to a study that was collected over 85 years of research from the psychological bulletin, I believe you can look it up. The top three predictors of new hire performance are work sample tests, like projects, which we'll talk about, structured hiring, and then general cognitive ability tests, which I don't know that much about. If I'm being honest, I should. I don't use them that much because I really focus on the first two, which are more effective anyways, but maybe sometime on this podcast, I'll get an expert in some of these ability tests to tell us about them. So the study says that the top two predictors of new hire performance are work sample tests and structured hiring. So structured hiring is an interview plan, mapping out the process. It's getting clear on what you're assessing at each step. And I should back up, it's not only getting clear on what you're assessing at each step, you're asking and having all candidates for the same role go through the same process because how can you assess them against each other or who is good or decide who is good and who's not? If you're having everybody do different things, like there's no basis for you to make the decision on other than your gut, which doesn't work. So you need to create an interview plan that you are committed to having everybody who goes through the process stick through. Even if you meet someone that you just know is the right fit, push them through the process to confirm it. Please, 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 you're listening because you want to become better at hiring. Don't skip this because you think your gut is better than the process. The other reasons why this is so important is that it helps you you define and it helps you know who you're looking for. And it helps you figure out what will great look like when I see it. It creates consistency. It creates consistency for the candidates. It creates consistency for you. It creates consistency for your team. It just helps you become a better recruiting machine. It helps interviewers prepare. That's another thing. You know what you're assessing so you can prepare ahead of time. It helps you. It helps anyone who you have joining from your team in the process as well. It helps you make evidence-based decisions about candidates. Evidence-based decisions are so important because the best predictor of future performance is past performance. And this helps with that. It also helps you effectively and efficiently interview. Did you actually learn about everything you wanted to? Or did you just, like I do sometimes, did you just get caught up in loving meeting this person? Like, I genuinely love meeting new people and learning about them. And sometimes I'll get done with a 30 minute interview and I'll be like, holy crap, I didn't even ask about five of the core things or a hiring manager, I'm gonna be honest, will ask me about something that's like a no brainer. I should have figured out. And it's because I didn't follow my own advice. It happens, but get good in the hygiene of this, right? So that it happens less and less frequently. The more you practice, the better you get. The other two important reasons why structured hiring is so important is it helps you reduce bias and discrimination in your hiring process. If you make sure that everyone goes through the same process, you are helping in setting up a structure so that you can reduce bias and discrimination, which I'll talk about here in a second, what that looks like, because we all do it. I wish I could say we didn't, but we're humans. We're humans and this happens. And structured interviewing helps. It's like the fail safe to help you when you are falling victim to it because you will. We all do. And then finally, it helps create a great candidate experience. The candidate can tell when you're not prepared. They feel like they didn't get a chance to fully explain their skills or they feel like you didn't care enough to prepare. It just doesn't feel good as a candidate when you can tell that somebody you're meeting with didn't give enough time into preparing for it, right? Like you took off of work as a candidate. You made sure that you got to the interview. You prepared. And a lot of times candidates are preparing a lot. And it is very, very disheartening when you walk into an interview and you can tell that somebody didn't prepare. Quite honestly, for A-plus players, unprepared interview it's a turnoff. I don't want to join a team that doesn't care about this process. And there have been plenty of times that I have walked out of a train wreck interview as an interviewee and been like, there is no way in hell I'm going to work for that company at all. And it's because they aren't doing structured hiring. So I could do an entire episode on Canada experience In fact, I will because it is so important and I have such strong opinions about this and how people just treat candidates like crap. So we will have a whole discussion about that at a later date. But back to structured hiring, creates consistency. It helps you prepare. It helps you make evidence-based decisions and make sure that you actually interview for everything and assess everything that you need to and it reduces bias and discrimination, and it helps deliver a great candidate experience. Have I bought you in yet? I hope so. So I want to talk about unconscious bias that comes into interviewing and what we do without even realizing it when we're meeting with people and interviewing people. There's quite a few, but I want to highlight some of the biggies. And the first one is stereotyping. And that is when you make a snap decision about somebody based on a group that they represent. I make the joke, but it happens all the time. Like I hear people saying, oh, millennials, I'm doing an eye roll. You can't see it, but I am a millennial, a little older side of the millennials. I like to think I got the best qualities of them, but like, it pisses me off when somebody characterizes me as a millennial, it doesn't work. Right. And it's not even true. So stereotyping is when you characterize somebody as a member of a group rather than their own individual characteristics. It happens. The other thing about these unconscious biases is we do them in split seconds. Like we don't even realize that we're doing them. Like our brains are tricky. They offer you thoughts that you don't even believe, that you don't realize how they affect different things, right? So the first is stereotyping. The second is the like me. Oh my gosh, I wish I could tell you how many times I made this mistake in my career. I'm way better at it now. But the like me bias is you meet somebody who is like you you see yourself in them. So you assume they have to be good at their job because you think you're great. So of course they're going to be great. They're wearing the same shoes as you. They're wearing the same outfit as you. Like they finish sentences like you, they have the same mindset or the same vibe as you. Like that is the like me bias. And while you do want to make sure that There is a level of chemistry between you and your team members. You don't want a bunch of team members that are just like you. Like that is a recipe for failure. So the like me bias comes in definitely without you realizing it. Then there's the experience bias. And that is where you make a judgment on somebody based on how much experience they have. So how this shows up a lot, especially if you are a startup or early stage company You see somebody is ex-Google, ex-Amazon. They have to be great at their job. Not always true. I can promise you that. Or what happens in startups all the time is you get startup experience once and you can get new jobs for life and you can be a crappy employee. (laughs) Like I've seen it happen a lot. And so that is the experience bias. Education bias is when you have a thought or opinion about somebody based on the level of education they have or where they went to school. You know, did they graduate from the same college as somebody, you know, did they go to Harvard? What are your feelings on that? Some people it's good. Some people it's bad, but education can totally come into play. The other thing about education and experience biases is sometimes it will make you feel inferior. Like you shouldn't ask questions about things because they obviously know more than you do. And that is not accurate or true. And so I want to give you permission to release that belief about yourself right now. You can ask whatever you want and you can be really candid in your question of like, hey, I don't know as much about this, but I would love for you to teach me. See if they can teach you right? If they can teach you and it kind of makes sense or makes sense, like that's great. But don't ever think you can't ask about something because you didn't go to school for that. That is bullshit. Then there's the first impression bias. First impressions they have an impact on a lot of things. If somebody doesn't shake hands right, oh my gosh, I can't believe they don't know how to shake hands. Or you make impressions based on different things. And sometimes you just got to give people a little bit of grace. Like interviewing is scary. It is one of the most scariest things that you can do. I think finding a new job is in like the top five or 10 most stressful things you can do. Like cut people a little bit of slack. However. You can't help it. Your brain is tricky. It's going to offer you thoughts. You may or may not be able to choose to believe them or not. But this is why you have a structured hiring process to combat it. Okay, there's three more. There's the halo effect. So the halo effect is when somebody does one thing super, super well in the process. So you assume they can do everything well. And you don't ask about anything else because they did one thing very, very great. That happens all the time. And then on the flip side, there's the horns effect. They did one thing bad. So you assume they suck at everything. (laughs) That is not true, but that's what we do as humans. So make sure you are aware of those. And then the last thing is the contrast effect. Like When you're interviewing, you can't help but compare somebody to somebody else. However, what can happen often is you have an interview with someone that just is really bad. They're just a very weak candidate. It's a bad interview. You know, you have another interview scheduled 30 minutes later and it's a pretty good interview. You like them, it's going well. They're definitely doing better than the person you just spoke to, but you may have an inflated viewpoint of them based on who you just spoke with. And that obviously creates a determination that may not be true. And so what happens with all of these things that come into play during interviewing is, and also these unconscious biases come into when you're leading a team too. So I suggest that you think about this when you're leading teams and building relationships with your teams. And and the reason why I say that is because just like in interviewing, what happens is the, the confirmation bias. So what that is, it's like that analogy of, Wanting to manifest something in life, right? Like, let's say you want to get a BMW convertible, like I wanted to get. Then all of a sudden I was seeing them everywhere because I knew exactly what I wanted. They were showing up everywhere. I was like, whoa, universe, I get it. I see them everywhere. That's what happens with these. Something happens, you make a snap judgment. That is all you look for in the rest of that meeting, the rest of that interview. It is very, very hard to stop your brain from doing that. It's almost impossible. It's a human brain. But when you have a structured interview process, it helps reduce this. It helps to reduce the amount of times and impact that these biases have on your decision-making. So if I hadn't bought you into creating a structured interview process, I sure hope I have now. And hopefully you've learned a few things about interviewing and and things you didn't realize that come into play. So, a great simple interview plan that I use and recommend a lot of people use. I mean, there's a million things you could do. There's a million different processes and steps you could have. But for a quick efficient simple plan, obviously have an application, process, review that. I will talk about application processes in a future episode, but I will say here, great candidates are not going to answer a 30 question application. I'm sorry, gone are those days. So make it simple. You can add a few questions. You know, I definitely like to add into my application questions that they have to write in answers to that are specific to the role, my company, the opportunity so that I know they're actually paying attention and not just like mass applying. But I'm definitely not going to make it a 45 minute application process. Raise your hand if you've started one of those with a big corporate company and you're like, screw this. I do not want to work at this place this badly enough, right? So that is my two cents and I'll definitely (laughs) do a whole episode on that. Especially if you're a little bit older, like your hiring practices are probably a little bit outdated. I'm sorry. I'm judging you a little bit, but I'm not actually. I just think people who've been recruiting for a very long time, it's hard to shift the way that you do stuff, right? Like what worked for you 20 years ago 15 years ago, shit, even five years ago, isn't going to work today. So I digress. What was I talking about? Oh, a simple interview plan. So phone screen. So, well, first there's an application review. Then I select people to do a phone screen with. This is about 20 or 30 minutes in duration. And during this phone screen, I am really trying to get a sense of what their goals are do their career goals align with what this opportunity will provide them? I gather preliminary information about the candidate. I screen for any must have skills. And those are must haves, not like nice to haves, like what are some of the must haves? And then I also assess for some of the core values that that I've identified in my rubric. And then a lot of it, I would say at least 10 minutes of this 20 to 30 minute phone call is me selling the candidate on the role. They don't know about me. They don't know why I'm so awesome. They don't know why my company is so awesome. I need to tell them why, and I'm selling them. I'm getting them excited. Nobody knows more about your business or what you're up to than you. Even if you have a large following on social media, you still need to sell the opportunity and the role to people. So that should definitely be a part of the screen. So I like to do phone calls because I can usually make them go quicker if I feel like it's just not a great fit than I can on a video. But I do still try to you know kind of go through everything. I just move through the questions faster. So it's about 20 to 30 minutes. And then I recommend doing a short little project. This should not be super time intensive. It should not be a deliverable that you are going to use in your business. Like If it's something that you are going to use and you want to own, pay them to do the short project. Especially in the world of creative roles, people are getting burnt out on doing projects, quote unquote, for free. So if it's something that you really feel like you should, like offer to pay them to do it. Otherwise, have it be a short little project, should not take them more than two hours to complete and send to you. And so, like, what I'm looking for in that is do they ask clarifying questions if they don't understand? How quickly do they turn it around? Most of the clients I work with operate in a G Suite environment. So I typically will always ask candidates to send it back to me in a Google Doc, like share it as a Google Doc, because it helps me to assess whether or not they can Google. If they don't know how to share or create a Google Doc, do they Google it to try to figure it out? And can they do that? And then it it helps me assess that. And that might seem a little mean, but I I think anyone joining a small company needs to be resourceful. And that is a very easy way to figure that out. Then I'm also seeing turnaround time. How quickly do they get it completed? If they can't do it quickly, do they let you know and and let you know when they're going to get it done by? Like, what is their communication around that? And then also, obviously, just like the quality of it. And is it in line with what you would want for folks working on your team? So that's a short project, work sample, you can call it what you want or assignment, whatever you want to call it there. And then folks who do well on that, I will do a video interview as a final interview or an in-person interview. I like to have somebody else join me, especially if you have a team, have another team member also a part of this process. But um, during this, it's probably about an hour long meeting with them. And I'm digging deeper into the core skills and expertise. If I didn't ask all of the core values and qualities, I'm asking about them here. I'm digging into any yellow flags or things I wanted to dig deeper into from the phone screen. I'm also reviewing the short project with them. I think that people forget that. Like they ask for a project back and they never go over it. So candidates are just like, did you like it? Did you not like it? Like I go over that with them a little bit. And then I'm asking a lot of behavioral-based interview questions in here. Tell me about a time when. And we're going to go over what that is here shortly. So you are going to create... Some standard interview questions that you ask everybody in in these different steps. You want to leave a little bit of room to ebb and flow, you know, in the conversation, but you want to select three to five questions that you are going to ask everybody in every step of the process. You want to make sure you ask the same questions to everyone to create consistency, reduce bias, all of those things. And you want them to be behavioral-based interviewing. And the reason why is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, like I discussed. So behavioral-based interviewing is asking about things they've done in the futures or examples of things they've done in the past. And they typically will start with, they're situational. So they'll be like, describe a time when, tell me about a project that, xyz. It's tell me about a time, tell me about a project, describe how you have done xyz in the past. It's talking about situations. And I'm going to be honest with you, it really doesn't matter that question. Like you there are not four perfect questions to ask every single person to make the best hire. It's actually not about that. I would actually say the mat, my magic interview questions are Anything that is a follow-up to the initial question you ask. So let's say you want to know about a time when they've had to implement a new marketing automation software. Because they're going to have to do that in your role. So tell me about a time when you had to implement a new marketing software across an organization and across the team. And they're going to answer. They're going to tell you about it. And you're going to be listening. You need to listen. Like interviewing is listening, not preparing for what you're going to say next. So you're listening. And so based on what they say, the magic in that question is how you dig into things after they respond. So the magic follow-up questions start with how and they start with what. So you could ask, what happened next? What did they say? How did they react? How did that go? How did you get to that decision? What made you decide to go that route? You will come up with what these are, but you, that is the secret sauce, you guys. The secret sauce is digging into things. You pick up on something, you're like, huh? Like sometimes in an answer, it may sound like that they, it didn't go well because people weren't really on board. And you're like, I want to dig into that. So a question I'm going to ask is like, how did you go about explaining the new process to your team? How did you train them? see how they did stuff. And and honestly, you'll get better with practice. Like it's not going to be perfect, but you get better with practice. So the key is listening to how they answer these situational based questions. And if you get stuck, all you have to do is say, tell me more, tell me more about that. Tell me more about X, Y, Z. They will keep talking and It'll buy you time to think of something else to dig deeper into. I don't want you in your head thinking about, oh my God, I had to ask something. Like you want to be listening, like be in on the conversation and, and really dig into stuff. And honestly, you'll get better over time. Like it's not something that you're great at right away and you just need to practice it. But if you get stuck, you can always ask, tell me more about that. Those are the secret questions. Start with a behavioral-based question. It's a situational-based question that says, describe a time when, tell me about a time when, and then listen, be interested. Just like when you're selling something, be interested. And then ask follow-up questions that start with how and what. You will be amazed at the things that you find out. I could write a book on things that people have told me in interviews because I dig in deeper. Then once you get done with the interview, You need to make sure you take time to jot down notes, give them a rating in some sort of process. I like to set up a Google sheet where I track interview notes, jot down a few notes, make sure that you give them a rating so that you can clearly remember the interview and also write down things that you wanna dig in deeper in the future. Don't wait, I know. Make sure you save 10 minutes after every interview and write down notes right away. You will forget. And that is not fair to you. That is not fair to the candidate. Write down notes. You're investing all of this time to interview. Make sure you write down notes so that you remember how it went so that you can make a good decision. Don't waste it. Don't waste the time and energy you're investing in this process by not documenting how it went and thinking you're going to remember remember you are a busy entrepreneur who keeps telling me you don't have time to do any of this. Well, guess what? You're going to forget about it. So draw down notes immediately following the interview. And a couple of things that I definitely want to point out about that is make sure that the notes are objective. They're factual. They don't have any opinions. They should be factual, objective, and they shouldn't indicate anything that relates to an illegal topic. And so there are some things that you cannot ask in interviews, which I'm going to do a whole podcast episode on this, but you can't ask anything about race, color, national origin, gender, pregnancy, religion, age, if they're over 40, I mean, I wouldn't ask about age at all. If they're married, their marital status, their sexual orientation, if they're a veteran, if they have any medical conditions, or if there's any disabilities, like those are things that you should just avoid and do not put in writing anything to do with that. We will have a whole future podcast topic about that, but I just think it's important to share that right now. And so from there, you will have data in which you can make informed decisions on who to hire. So create your interview plan, make sure you're asking the same things to everyone and having everybody go through the same process. You don't have to push everyone through the process. If somebody is not a great fit in the phone screen, you don't have to have them do the work sample or do a final interview with them, right? But make sure that everyone that you do think passes a process goes through the same next step. So I really hope this has been helpful and has not deflated you too much, but I promise you with a little bit of prep work into all of this, preparing before you start interviewing, you will make significantly better hiring decisions and you will become better in the process because that's what it is. Being a leader, building a team, it is a practice. It is not perfect. It is a practice. And so I'm excited to hear how it goes in the, not the next episode, but the episode after that, we will be talking about where to find people. I promise you, we will get there because I know that is where you feel a lot of stress. So we will talk about it soon. So thank you so much for tuning in as always. I so appreciate it. And I really am excited to hear how this stuff helps you in your business. Please make sure to follow hiring school on Apple podcasts, as well as Spotify. Please, please, please rate and review. It'll help me help more of you and get the message through to other people. So please make sure you follow on Apple podcasts, rate and review. We're on Spotify as well. You can follow me on Instagram or TikTok. I'm a TikTok star these days at People Principles and that is P R I N C I P L E S and visit our website at hiringschool.com. I will see you next week.